0: Hello and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the Scriptures that have made them real to us, or that have become real to us because we believe you can get more power out of the Scriptures when they're real to you. And we need all the power we can get. I'm your host, Kerry Mielstein, and I'm thrilled to have with me as a guest today one of my good friends and colleagues from work. Uh, This is Brad Wilcox, uh, who is currently serving uh, as the, I believe, the second counselor in the Young Men's Presidency, the General Young Men's Presidency, but He's here on my podcast, not in that role, but as a professor of ancient scripture because we teach in the same uh, college and uh, and just a, a wonderful guy who uplifts me every single time I'm around him and who has a way of seeing to the core of important matters and recognizing what's important and what we need to focus on and, uh, and a way of explaining that so well. So I'm thrilled to have you with us. Thank you for being with us, Brad. Thanks, Carrie. Anytime I can teach with you,
1: I am happy. Yeah, Well, then we're both happy today. uh, (laughs) What else should we know about you, Brad? Oh, I guess it's good to let you know that I have a wonderful wife and and, uh, just a wonderful family. I've got four great kids and nine grandkids, and some of them are in the other room right now playing hide-and-seek. So if it gets a little noisy on this end of things, just know that Grandpa and Grandma are babysitting.
0: Uh, well, sorry that you're missing that. I, the, my grandson's actually downstairs playing uh, at <laughs> right this moment as well. So we mostly because together, his dad's Gary. trying to get him to clean up. Yeah, we should have. <laughs> his dad's trying to get him to, to clean up, and that became hide-and-go-seek because he was hiding from cleaning. But anyway, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, well, it's it's good to have you with us, Brad. And uh, today we're covering, uh, well, the Come Follow Me is covering John chapters two through four. We won't cover all of that. Um, but I uh, asked Brad to come on just because uh, there's a topic in there that I think is it's particularly meaningful to me uh, and very real to me. But I think a lot of times members of the church kind of struggle with it. And I know Brad gets this concept. So uh, we can start out you can take us anywhere you want we don't have to start here but at some point we're going to talk about being born again but we'll start wherever however you want brad what would you like oh no, let's
1: about? dive in right there in chapter 3 of john let's talk about what it means to be born again it says in verse 1 there was a man of the pharisees named nicodemus a ruler of the jews that means that he was part of the sanhedrin this ruling body of Jews, and he was a Pharisee, which means that he's one that follows the law and puts a lot of trust in the law, and uh,
0: and is so, fairly learned. Then
1: yes, very learned and very well respected. The Sanhedrin was made up of seventy-one members, and they were from all factions. You had scribes, you had Sadducees, you had Pharisees, um, and they were all represented in this ruling body. But it means he was a very important man. And I think it's interesting in verse two, it says the same came to Jesus by night. Yeah. Now, why on earth would he be coming by night? Well, it's because he's an important man and he doesn't want to be seen with Jesus who is not very politically correct and yeah. who is not very well accepted by his peers. So he's coming at a time when nobody's going to know and it says- in fact, maybe I'll just
0: uh, interrupt if it's all right to just uh, remind my audience that a couple of weeks ago we, we had uh, Eric Huntsman on to introduce the book of John. And then we talked about the theme of light and darkness. This is an important theme in John. And you're going to see that playing here as we talk about that, this idea that he's in the darkness. And remember, in John chapter one, it's talking about the darkness can't comprehend the light, but he wants people to accept the light and be moved into being, becoming children of God. We talked about it in John 1, and we're going to see that play out here in John 3. Oh, totally,
1: because he's coming by night. So it's dark around him, and he's coming in darkness. He shows that because he says, Rabbi, we know thou art a teacher come from God. Now, I think this guy is really trying to be respectful. He's really trying to um, recognize and compliment Jesus, but he's totally missing the light. He's missing who Jesus really is. And he says, no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And Jesus answers and says unto him, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let's come back to that word. Then it says in four, Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb? He's taking things very literally here and be born. And Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, Joseph Smith is the one who said that it's one thing to see the kingdom, to have a witness of the Holy Ghost. And it's another thing to enter the kingdom that's the difference that we see between testimony and conversion it's the testimony that we see between being in and being all in mm. and we see this this jesus is saying you've got to be able to not just see the kingdom of god not just recognize these miracles but you've got to enter the kingdom of god and that comes through baptism. Now, um, the Bible always represents baptism as the cleansing. It's only in the Book of Mormon that we see that baptism is a covenant. Mm. And so Jesus is saying, you need to be born again through baptism. You need to enter the kingdom of God by covenant. And that covenant gives you a relationship with me. I love it if we skip down to verse 13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but, or we could say, without he that came down from heaven, even the son of man, which is in heaven. Then he talks about Moses lifting the serpent Mm. and saying, basically, I'm the one. That Moses was pointing to. I am the one who came to go below all things. I'm the one who came to heal men if they will just look to me. And the reason I can do this is because I'm so much more than a teacher come from God. I am the son of God. I am divine. I am the son of the man of holiness. And I am able to be with you sometimes carrie i think we think of covenants as a two-way promise that's how they're offscribed. described and that's true but boy we sure limit it by saying a two-way promise because then we have people saying well i have to do my part and then god does his part but i can never do my part right so god won't do his part And we're we're forever pushing the help that God is offering, we're pushing it away because we feel like we can never do our part to fulfill the contract. That's why we end up with people saying, oh, I think it's better to not get baptized than to make promises that I'm going to break. I think it's better to not go to the temple than make promises that I might break. When is it better to not have a relationship with God in Christ? Right. If we look at a covenant as only a two-way promise, then there might be reasons we don't want to sign on that dotted line. But if we look at a covenant as a relationship, then we start understanding that God's promise is always to give us the grace, give us the help, give us the power for us to be able to keep our covenants and that we're not keeping covenants for him we're keeping covenants with him we're yoked with him and how do we yoke ourselves well as elder bednar says we do that by entering a covenant relationship and in that covenant relationship then we have access you've written a lot on this you've taught the whole church on this we have access to power, to grace that we would not have without entering that covenant. So he's saying, not just you have to be born again, you have to be cleansed. He's saying, you have to be born again. And the way we go through that born again process is together. Mm. I'm going to be with you in that process. And I'm going to be with you, not once you've done your part, but every step of the way.
0: Yeah, just because you've been willing to say that we're in it together. And, yeah. and that really is the key. I I, I think we underestimate that, that that when we say I'm with you, God, then God is all in. And it doesn't matter when we're sometimes in sometimes partway in and sometimes all in, and sometimes really waffling. God was all in from the beginning and he's there helping us from the moment we
1: make that covenant. Yeah. Now he won't force himself on us. No. We have to make the covenant. We have to receive his grace, because like any gift, it can be thrown aside. But as we receive, as we accept, as we enter that covenant relationship, then he really truly is there with us, and his strength becomes our strength. Truman and Ann Madsen, who have both passed away now, and they're going to be sorely missed. Yes, yes. But in a book they did on the temple, they said this. A covenant is not a cold contract, but a warm relationship. Ah, Perfect. I love that. I love that. A relationship. And that means that then when he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He can make that happen. Everlasting life, God's life, to live like and with God, that seems like an impossible dream, even on our best day.
0: And it is. With but that on he our says, own.
1: Yeah. he gave his only begotten son. And that's how. God. Jesus isn't a teacher come from God. Jesus is his only begotten son and partnered with him then perfection becomes a real goal and a real focus in our lives. Talk about making the scriptures real. It says in 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't come to push us down. He didn't come to to put us in our place, but that the world through him might be saved. Yes. And how do we know that? I mean, how do you know that that's real? Where's our proof? Well, Alma would say, put the seed in the ground and see if it grows. Yep. Brad says to his students, well, put gas in the car and see if it goes. You know, if you (laughs) put water in the tank, it's not going to go. But put gas in the tank and the car's going to go. But whether it's seeds or cars, I think Jesus is telling Nicodemus here, live as I live and see if it doesn't bring you from, as Eric said, from darkness into light. Look at verses 20 and 21. For everyone that doeth evil, hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light. Wow that's where you know it's real if you can live like jesus if you can try to enter this covenant and renew that covenant then you see is it bringing light into my life or
0: is it good and and are you feeling more attracted to the light or not right i I think that's also one of those things that if, if Uh, you're doing this and it makes you start to, and this is kind of some of Alma's words as well. If it makes you rejoice in the light or light begins to become delicious to you, then you know that's a good seed because the light is bringing you to more light. It's wonderful.
1: And then you're seeing the effects. Not many of us can explain the atonement, but we can see the effects of the atonement. Not many of us can just, you know, we have a hard time defining grace But we can see the effects of God's grace, Christ's grace in our lives. And one of those effects is that we can be changed. If God didn't require faith and repentance, there would be no desire to change. I mean, think about your friends who've chosen to live without faith and without repentance. They don't want to change. They want God to change. They want the church to change. But then God gives us covenants, and he gives us the gift of the Holy Ghost, because without those, there would be no way to change. I mean, we're recording this in mid-January, and most of the world's already broken their New Year's resolutions. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. So willpower is not enough. My mom used to always say, since our name was Wilcox, she'd say, where there's a Wilcox, there's a way. And I mean, it's cute. we used to say it together but it's wrong because all the will and Wilcoxes in the world isn't enough we have to have access to his power and we gain that through covenant we gain that through the holy ghost and then ultimately he asks us to endure to the end because that's how we see the changes become more than cosmetic changes more than just a change, like those shows on TV where they take some lady out of the audience and take her backstage and cut her hair if her hair's long, curl her hair if her hair's straight, bring her out on stage, and everybody goes, Oh, oh, <laughs> she's changed. No, that's not the change that God's interested in. He's interested in changing our hearts, changing our natures, changing what we desire, changing what we are motivated by taking our old heart and replacing it with a new heart, a pure yeah. heart. Yes, That's the change he wants. And that doesn't happen overnight. I'm sorry. You can go to a motivational fireside and come out and say, I am going to be the best dad in the world. And two minutes later, you're yelling at one of your kids.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, Let, let's I, talk about that. For a uh, not, I mean, not necessarily the yelling at one of your kids, but that 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 desire to change and i think it's real so sometimes i think members of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints sometimes struggle with this whole being born again concept in fact um i'll just tell you a story that that keyed me in on this once i mean i was already keyed in but even more so uh i i teach like in all my classes but especially the book of mormon talks about being born again all the time um and so i was in a book of mormon class where i was talking about being born again a lot and i had my students write a paper on it and it uh, you know, started with Mosiah 27 and so on. And he's talking about being born again. One of my students relayed this story. He said he was working in the MTC, oversaw the call center they had back then where m- missionaries who were being trained would uh, call people who would uh, send in a little referral card saying they'd like to learn more. And this one missionary made a call and this uh, and the, my student was monitoring it. And he, he got a woman who said, oh, that was my daughter. sent that in and it was an adult daughter she's passed away i'm here cleaning out all of her stuff but i'm really upset that she was interested in your church because you don't believe in being born again and this missionary said well that's true we don't believe in being born again but and then he was going to explain some things we believe and and my my student was like hang on actually we do believe in being born again yes and 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 so that's just kind of an example of i i think some some of us struggle with this and that might be part of the reason might be because of what you're talking about. Um, you know, I, I read in King Benjamin's sermon and then it says that the people have no more desire to be to, to do evil. And we read that and we kind of feel like they probably felt that way. And, it, and it, they all felt that way forevermore. And I doubt it. Right. I, and I ask my students and firesides and stuff. I say, have you ever been in a situation like that where you felt the spirit so strongly that that at that moment you said, you know, I just want to be good. I don't ever want to do bad again. I know I've felt that a number of times, and then I often say, and then I'm driving home from the fireside, and someone cuts me off, and sometimes that's about as long as that feeling lasted, right? Except for I think, not really. I, I might not stay at that level, but I have been changed, and if I if I don't just give up, if I keep pursuing my relationship with God, then that that change will be incremental, and then I'll get another one, another one. So I often say it's being born again is both an event and a series of events and for my students who like literature i say it's a series of fortunate events Um, (laughs) but uh I, i think it's it is it's something that happens but it's it has to happen again and again and again but it's real our natures really truly are changed by christ so that we are different than we were before that change yeah
1: i think anybody who thinks that the people of king benjamin never again made a mistake or had a bad thought because of this change in their heart they're not understanding the purpose of life yeah. they're not understanding the challenges of temptations and mortality and human
0: nature yeah, yeah. our all
1: nature they're just not understanding that but i think the people of king benjamin had a change in their desire yes. so instead of desiring those things they didn't desire it anymore so then when they slipped up and they probably slipped up just like we do Yeah, they're they're fallen beings, so they probably had, from time to time, fallen desires creep back
0: in, right?
1: But they didn't want to. And that meant that they were willing to repent quickly. Yes. Instead of giving up, as you say, and saying, oh, well, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. This is just the way I am. They were willing to say, no, I don't want to be this way. And so they were willing to repent quickly. President Nelson says repent daily which my students, I often say, it simply means improve, be striving to improve. It's not that you commit some major sin and have to go confess to the bishop every day of your life. It's a matter of wanting to improve and then letting that desire start helping you reflect on your behavior and to make some little adjustments. You know, people often record the minute, the doctors and nurses can record the minute that you were born but ask the mom how long it really took
0: <laughs> good question I mean,
1: ask yeah. her how long it took not only did it take nine months but how many days of labor did she go through yeah so yes being born is an event we can mark the minute but it's also a process yeah and we have to recognize that prophets have spoken of that. Ezra Taft Benson spoke about that often. So did so did Howard W. Hunter and Harold B. Lee. I mean, many prophets have said the reason that we read about these changes in the scriptures like Alma the Younger and how he's changed so dramatically or like Paul, the reason those are written up in scriptures is not because they're typical, right. but because they're atypical. Right. And we have to realize that for most of us, it's just a matter of sticking with it, staying with Christ, and drawing closer and closer to him in this relationship of covenant.
0: Agreed.
1: And I think, you know, we
0: can look at like the, the Paul or the Alma the Younger uh, kind of stories. And and in my view, at least, we all, we probably all experienced that in a much smaller scale, much smaller degree, but but still just as real, right? So maybe I can share. Uh, another example, I can remember a time I was uh, in a class at BYU-Hawaii and, and someone who talked about forgiveness a lot came in and, and was doing, uh, it, it, they wanted him to teach different classes. So he came in and taught my class that day on forgiveness. And um, and he was talking about how if you're having a hard time forgiving someone, uh, that you should pray and ask for help. And there was a girl on the back row who raised her hand. Um, and I knew she'd been through some tough stuff. And she said, OK, what if I'm having a hard time forgiving someone? And I, I I I keep praying. And then one day as I'm praying, I'm able to forgive them. Is it really me who forgave them, or is it God or Christ that forgave them? Right? And and the teacher wasn't quite sure how to handle it. He kind of changed the subject and went on. But I thought <laughs> the, the answer is is yes and no. It's not the old you that forgave that person, but it is you. It's a new you, a new you created by Christ that had a capacity. That you didn't have when you woke up that morning the capacity to forgive that person that's a new you a new creature in christ created by his atoning sacrifice and that new you can forgive and that may not be quite as dramatic as paul or alma the younger but it's just as it's the same thing and it's just as real and just as important right and 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 we're all going to have that in in one degree or another again and again if we really are pursuing this relationship we're talking about we will have things we've struggled with. Like you said, maybe you've, you've had some desires for something and then you just don't desire it anymore. And it might creep back a couple of times and then you say, no, I, I don't really want that. And and But it's a changed you. It's a different game because you're changed. Or maybe you just have greater capacity to love or whatever it is. That's a real experience of being born again. And you just have to have it a thousand times and keep having it all the way to the end of your life. As you say, endure to the end, I mean, I, If someone thinks that we're going to be done struggling before we die, they don't get this. Right. But uh, but hopefully we're having these little born again experiences for our entire
1: lives. Yeah. And we don't always see them in the moment. We all want change to happen quickly. I mean, I want somebody to wave a magic wand and say, poof, you just lost 20 pounds. I mean, that's what I want. I want it fast and I want it easy. I want Harry Potter style. Some kid wrote me a letter from the MTC and he said, where's God? Where's God when I need him the most? Why has he abandoned me? I wrote him back and I'm like, what are you talking about? You're in the MTC. I mean, God lives there. What do you mean, where's God? He's right there. And, uh, And he said, well, I have been here for three weeks and I still don't speak Spanish. (laughs) do you see what he wants yeah Yeah. you speak espanol poof taco burrito enchilada poof i mean he just wants it fast yeah so i wrote him back and i said hey you're doing fine you didn't learn english as a baby in one in three weeks you had to do a lot of listening and a lot of trying you're just doing fine just hang in there well he writes me back and he says don't we believe in the gift of tongues i mean do you get what he's saying yeah yeah fast I want to change, and I want it fast. And I wrote him back, and I said, yes, we believe in the gift of tongues. And sometimes that's instantaneous, but in most cases, it is a gift that happens over time. Time becomes the medium through which the power of Christ's atonement is made manifest in our lives. Time becomes the medium. And there isn't a day when he doesn't speak Spanish, and then a day when suddenly he speaks Spanish fluently, there's just going to be a time when he finally wakes up and says, gosh, I sure speak it a lot better than I used to when I was in the MTC, and I'm still not perfect, but I'm learning, and I'm growing, and I'm getting better, and he'll realize that there were times when he spoke that language much better than he had a right to, based on his study. And times when he understood what people were saying much better than he ever had a right to. And then he'll realize, I have experienced the gift of tongues. I have felt divine help in this process of change, but it hasn't happened overnight.
0: That's good. That's, That's beautiful. Thank you. I was thinking, and we probably want to explore a little bit more. But I thought maybe we could just go back and look at a couple of those verses you, you talked about right at the beginning um, and say, so I, I want to give Nicodemus uh, some credit because he's, he's at least more logical than many of the uh, uh, people that will oppose Jesus, where he says, OK, I don't know who you are, but I can see you're doing things that I don't think people can do without God. So I've got to ask you, what's your relationship with God? I, I, I applaud him for that. And so it seems to me he may be at that point where he's starting to see the kingdom of God. But he's not yet at that point where he's really, really changed. And uh, we know by the end of his life, he is. Or by the end of the Savior's life, I should say, he is. Which is is very
1: hopeful for us. It is. To see that by the end, he is not hiding in the darkness. He comes out in pure light and he says, I want to help with the burial of this body."
0: Well, and, and he defends the Savior in front of the Sanhedrin as well, uh, and so I mean he 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 is in the light, right? He he has had a change. Some people say it takes him that long. I think we actually don't know enough of the story to know. I mean, maybe Nicodemus had that born again experience that night or the next day. I don't know. Um, but the key is, he didn't start there, but he got there
1: yeah and
0: and uh and i think that's sh- that's a model for all of us you know we, we again this uh the gospel of john explores this model of discipleship and the move from light to or from darkness to light we all start in darkness in a thousand different parts of our nature and they all have to be slowly brought to the light not uh, i mean we have a small role in that and trying to bring them there but the biggest role is christ changing us and infusing us with light
1: yeah Now, as you look at that, it's interesting to compare Nicodemus's experience with the experience we read about in the very next chapter, chapter four. And this is with the woman at the well. On my office in Salt Lake, I have a picture of the woman at the well. And some Uh, people say, didn't you forget that you're in the young Men organization? Why do you have the picture of the woman at the well? (laughs) But I love that picture because I see in her... The journey that all of us must make as we come closer and closer to Christ. She says, it says here that uh, he came to the city of Samaria. This is verse five. And uh, he came to a place, parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Verse six, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the wall. Now, carry the well. Yeah. Or, yeah. Sat thou on the well. You actually speak these languages. I just read about them. But from what I understand, the Greek word here, asomai am I saying that right? I, I haven't Kathos, looked this koma? word up recently, so I okay. wouldn't be able to it. But... It means waiting in anticipation. So mm-hmm. he sat on the well, but he didn't just sit there to rest. He sat there waiting for her. Hmm. And I think some of us need to remember that Christ is waiting for us Uh, to come to him. So then it says, that cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus says, give me a drink. Now, she's coming at noon, probably because it's the heat of the day. And most of the women came earlier in the coolness of the morning or the coolness of the evening later she's coming at noon probably to avoid people yeah. because of the situation she's living in. And so he says, give me to drink. In verse 9, she says, how is it that thou being a Jew? Now, knowing the relationship between Samaritans and Jews, she's probably not saying that with kindness. Yeah. You know, she's saying you are a foreigner. You are a stranger.
0: And typically you hate me. So this this would be. Uh, you know, like someone in the in the deep South in the '60s, uh, who is uh, having someone of the uh, uh, you know a, a, a black person or white person talking to each other, and one of them saying, "Wait, you you hate my kind? Why are you yeah, talking?" You're
1: supposed. To, we're not supposed to to get along, yeah. and yet he she says, "Ask a drink of me, which I'm a woman of yeah. Samaria." So the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, see the gift, his mm-hmm. grace, his willingness to engage with us. And who it is that saith to thee, Give me drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. So then Jesus says to her, Whosoever drinketh of this water, the well, shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water, I shall give him shall never thirst. Notice how the woman changes her tone. In 15, the woman saith unto him, sir. She went from calling him a Jew, a foreigner, a stranger, and now she's calling him with a term of respect. And she says, give me this water that I thirst not. And then he talks more about what he has to offer her and tells her how many husbands she's had and that the man she's living with is not her husband and notice how her tone changes once more the woman saith unto him sir i perceive thou art a prophet wow we've gone from jew to sir to prophet a term of reverence and then she goes on speaking about the resurrection And finally, she realizes that he is the Christ. says, the woman left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith unto men, come and see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And this woman who had come to the well to avoid people is now sharing with everyone she can meet about having met the Christ. Isn't that interesting that we kind of go that way too? Sometimes we look at Christ and he's very far away. He's a stranger to us. But then as we come to know how much he knows us and what he's offering us, then our term changes to sir or it changes to prophet. And we start recognizing more of who he is and ultimately, We find what she found and we realize that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that we can have a relationship with him. I think that's kind of part of that born again process is just coming to know him and know him on a more intimate and more deeper level and let this relationship blossom.
0: That's that's beautiful, uh, beautiful. And one of the things uh, I think that's worth uh, throwing in there, a lot of people talk about how Luke is the gospel where the the Savior focuses on Gentiles and women and, and kind of these people you wouldn't expect him to. But here in John, and and uh, I believe this is the first time we have recorded, he may have done it before this, but it's the first time we have recorded that he says he's the Messiah. Right. And and it's certainly the first time that John's recording that he says of himself that he's the Messiah. john the baptist had before this but uh but that's a big thing that it is to a, a what would have been thought of as a very terrible sinner woman samaritan like this is the the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of classes right and yet that's who the Savior's still going to reach out to and that's who's going to accept the savior yeah. and it's usually not people who think they're just fine it's people who know they need help that will accept him And notice
1: you you you're talking about how the scriptures are real, the change is real. Yeah, she hasn't just accept. I mean, you can see right in that in that chapter, you can see this change. Yes, this complete change uh, of who she is. And when we see that change in her, then we can start recognizing some of those changes in us as well. Good.
0: Very good. And, and one of the things I think we can, uh, sometimes we're in one or, or two categories that hopefully we can uh, relate to this story. Sometimes we feel like we're the the people who are beyond hope. We're the outcast. We're the people who are, are beyond hope. And yet look at what happened with this woman who was a person who would typically be thought of as beyond hope, right? Wow. Sometimes... We think we're just fine. All is well in Zion. We're, we're doing just fine. And, and in that case, then we probably need to start to identify more with her in terms of recognizing that we need help. We are not going to. So some people um, don't recognize they need help, but don't think it will come. And others don't recognize they need help. All of us need to become someone who recognizes we need help. And trust that it will come and that he can change us and make us different and and what we, he wants us to become. He's capable of it. He's willing. He's able if we're willing. It's really the Yeah. Uh,
1: notice, notice that she is, I mean, she's looking for love in all the wrong places. That's now, right. That's if anybody right. knows that reference to that song, then that means you're as old as I am. Okay, well, I know it, so yeah, <laughs> I love that song. So, but she's looking for love in all the wrong places, and now finally, she finds where she can truly have love and acceptance, and that changes her. Listen to what Elder Maxwell said. This was in a in a uh, article or in a talk uh, called "Settle This in Your Hearts." It is published in the Ensign of 1992, so it would have been in the October conference of 92. And he says, as we come to know to whom we belong, the other forms of belonging cease to mean very much. Likewise, as Jesus begins to have a real place in our lives, we are much less concerned with losing our places in the world. When our minds really catch hold of the significance of Jesus's atonement, the world's hold on us loosens.
0: That's powerful. Now tell yes. us the, the, the name uh, of that and, and who gave that talk again just so.
1: Neil A. Maxwell, Settle This in Your Heart, and sign November 1992, pages 66 and 67. Now when, when you say that, that. oh, go ahead. I just say, I love that. I love it. When we really see how significant, that's what I think we see in this woman. She realizes the significance of who he is. And then finally the world loosens its hold on her.
0: You know, so as you read that, and I'm uh, an elder Maxwell devotee. I mean, I just think he's one of the most gifted writers and speakers we've had in a long, long time. But uh, as you say that, It actually reminds me of some things President Nelson has been telling us recently, like when he says we know who we belong to and and, and, that we forget about uh, these other things. It sounds to me like President Nelson saying, focus on your core identities, your identity as a child of God, as a child of the covenant, disciple of Christ. When that's what is really important to you, this other stuff falls away. It's it's another way of saying the same thing. When when he says, make time for the
1: Lord, make time for the Lord and overcome the world. I mean, he's giving that same message.
0: Exactly uh, we right. saw
1: Nicodemus begin that process. We saw the woman at the well begin that process.
0: Uh, I I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And and and, and this idea that uh, uh, when we quit looking at, for love in the wrong places, and <laughs> it, right? When we quit looking to the world to to satisfy us, right? And as he said, the world teaches us that I think it's power, popularity, us, possessions, and pleasures and of to the flesh. validate us. Yeah. yeah. When we think that's where we're going to find joy, we're 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 looking for love in the wrong places. When we when we quit looking there and look to Christ, and 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 say Thou art the Messiah, right? And we go and tell other people, then we found love in the right place. Then we really do find the rest and the joy that President Nelson was talking about. So it's it's wonderful to hear uh, that this is a message that's being taught by John the Apostle, by Elder Maxwell the Apostle, by our senior Apostle right now, President Nelson, and we could probably find that message in a 100 other Apostles' teachings. Um, it's, it's clearly a message we really, really need.
1: Yeah. Well, let me, let me just conclude by sharing a story about when I was in high school. I joined the debate team. And Carrie, it's not because I was any good at it. I was lousy at it. But some girls talked me into it. Yeah, uh, they, they, they can do that can't they oh my gosh brad come join the debate team you can hang out with us and there i was oh yeah great and we'd go to these competitions on the weekend and then we'd come home and uh we'd be driving in this school bus home and we'd we'd play a little game we'd you know to not be bored we'd turn our knees to the center of the aisle Put our, clap our hands on our knees, clap our hands, click our fingers, and then get a little rhythm going, a little pattern. And then when you clicked yeah. your fingers, you were supposed to say somebody else's name or somebody else's number. Oh, yeah. You remember, we called yeah. it Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh-huh. But I don't know. Some girl in my class the other day said, oh, that's big booty. And I said, Well, we called it Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we are obviously more spiritual than you. Yeah, yeah. Um, my daughter
0: has called it Big Booty when we checked uh, out. I'm like, No, oh, that's, that's not how I called it. Okay. I know. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so um, we, we'd play this game, and I'd get into it, and I'd think, Oh, I'm going to win. Because every time somebody would mess up, they'd go to the back of the bus, and he'd move forward. Yeah. The goal was to get to the front. Well, I'd be moving forward, and I'd think, I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. And then somebody would call my name call my number, and I'd freeze. I mean, all you have to do is say two, three, yeah. nine, seven, six. I mean, that's it. Yeah. I'd freeze, and then I'd get sent to the back of the bus. And then I'd spend about a five minutes saying, this game is stupid. And anybody who likes this game is stupid. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd yeah. get, get off on that. But then I'd start moving up again. I'd start making process. And so then I think, OK, this time I'm going to get it. This time I'm going to get it. And I'd get clear to the front, and then sure enough, I'd blow it, and I'd go clear to the back of the bus. Now, what I see now, as I look back, that I never saw them, is that no matter where I sat on that bus, the bus was still moving me home. <laughs> if That's we could stay in the church, if we can stay in our covenant relationship, Yeah. Sometimes we'll be at the front of the bus. Sometimes we'll feel like we're at the back of the bus. But Jesus, the church, will get us home. We just have to stay on the bus. And I think that is the message of John 3, John 4. That is the message of being born again, is to stay in this covenant relationship with Christ and not give up.
0: No and and he'll change you and get you there
1: he'll get you there
0: yeah. yeah that's beautifully said wonderful and very very real it's as real as it gets honestly so well thank you brother wilcox we appreciate you uh and it's always uh wonderful to talk with you and I, i'm sure that uh, the, uh, my audience has, has been edified and uplifted and instructed and and we hope that uh they may think also of someone else who would be helped by this and share it with them but uh one way or the other, we hope uh, it allows the scriptures to become more real and for you to, to renew your desire to have a close relationship with our Father and His Son. So thank you.
1: Thank you, Terry. You keep up the good work. Everything you're doing to reach out and bless and uplift is just very appreciated.
0: Well, likewise. Right? We're, <laughs> we're all in this together. So, Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks. Bye-bye.